0: If you had the privilege of knowing when your time on earth was up and you had the opportunity to speak to your loved ones before your departure, what would you say? Let's suppose that the information sharing has already occurred. Folks know your passwords. They know your bank accounts. You've told them where the extra set of car keys are. You're holding a copy of your will. They know who gets your golf clubs or your grandmother's engagement ring. Let's just say that that all the details of the cares of life have been managed. In those final moments, what would you say? I think our responses to that question are likely to be as diverse as our congregation. Though I believe there would be a common thread in most of them, whatever we would choose to say in our fleeting time would probably center around what we felt to be most Important for them to know. To our saved loved ones, we could assure them this is not goodbye. This is a temporary parting. Eternal life is the gift of God to those who put their faith in Christ. Jesus promises that we're going to live even if we die. And one day, the redeemed of God will be together in a new heaven and a new earth with new bodies and all the curse of this sin-stained Earth will be no more. So, Christian friend, in our final moments on this earth, we can say to our saved ones, our saved loved ones, this is most definitely not goodbye. But to our unsaved loved ones, this is goodbye. Between us in eternity, there will be a great fixed chasm that no one may cross. The choices made on this earth will yield eternal and irreversible consequences. The ones who choose to live for God in this life will inherit a kingdom prepared for them from the foundation of the world. And those who choose to reject God in this life will go away into eternal punishment. That is the message of Scripture. And so our Parting words to a non-believer would convey this truth. We're never going to see each other again. This is goodbye forever. We might also add, and I hope we would, it doesn't have to be this way. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you will but surrender your life to the one who made you and the one who loves you and the one who stands ready to forgive your sin, if you will put yourself in his service, if you will give yourself to him in faith, you will be saved. And if you do that, we will meet on that beautiful shore of eternity. And together we will forever worship the one who gives us eternal life. We would, if we had the privilege of knowing when our time on earth was up, if we had the opportunity to speak to our loved ones before our departure in the gift of those final moments, speak of what we have come to know matters most. We would, I think, impart some wisdom that we believe will serve them long after we are gone. And that is what Jesus is doing here. In the middle of John's Gospel, from the upper room and then presumably on the way to Gethsemane, our text this morning is part of Christ's farewell teaching. And John 13, 1 says of Jesus in his relationship to his disciples that he loved them to the end, and part of that loving means he taught them to the end as well. And in this farewell discourse, which spans four chapters in John's Gospel Jesus has a lot of important truth that he wants to share with his disciples. Today we're going to focus in on just a brief portion in the middle of it, in John chapter 15, where Jesus teaches who he is and what he does, who the Father is and what he does, and who the disciples are and what they are to do. Jesus teaches who he is and what he does i am the true vine john 15 1 and my father is the vine dresser i am the true vine jesus uses the metaphor of the vine here to describe himself and that metaphor might make more sense to us if we lived in the napa valley it certainly made sense to those who lived in a grape growing region and the image had particular significance to the jewish hearer because in the old testament scriptures Israel is often depicted as a vine. God is the vine dresser. Israel is the vine that God chooses and God plants and God cultivates. We find this imagery in Isaiah chapter 5 where God, through his prophet, declares, What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? And when I look for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. The vine of God that was Israel was, to say the least, consistently producing a disappointing harvest. Israel, referred in Exodus 4.22 as God's firstborn son, has not displayed the characteristics of the father at all and has not produced a kind of fruit that the father would delight in. You might recall from John chapter 8 that Jesus' accusers had confidence in their heritage as the children of Abraham, the people of Israel. They were literal descendants of Abraham, but they bore no resemblance to him at all in terms of their faith. And so Jesus calls them the sons of the devil. They are spiritually estranged from God, and therefore not the Israel that God had planted to bear his image and nature and truth to the world. So, Jesus' statement that opens John 15, the last of his seven I am statements in John's gospel, is not simply, I am the vine, is it? No, it is, I am the true vine. Jesus has come to succeed where Israel has failed. And he is the true and the greater Israel, the one chosen of God to represent him and to lead people to the Father, to mediate God to the people, to do the works of God in such a way that the Father would be glorified. Jesus is truly the one through whom the salvation of God will come to the world. And should the persecution he predicted come to pass or the shocking death of Christ himself or the multiple attempts to discredit him cause his disciples to wonder or to doubt He lets them know, I am the real deal. I am the true Israel, the true Son of God. I am the true vine. You won't need to look for another. That's who Jesus is. And as the vine, he's the one who supplies the many and various branches, both then and now, with what they need to produce fruit. And fruit here is a common biblical image for good and God-pleasing deeds. If you happen to be new to reading the Bible or hearing the Bible, you might wonder about all this fruit. The teaching is not about literal grapes or oranges or apples. The word fruit is a metaphor for doing good, doing what pleases our Creator. Bearing fruit, then, in this sense, is and has been the job of every creature from the beginning of time. We can go back to a a really familiar imperative in the book of Genesis, right? Where God says, be fruitful, a word that means to grow, to increase. Be fruitful and multiply. Creation is made to be fruitful for the glory of God. And Jesus, as the vine, is the life-giving source that produces the fruit in the branches. Which is to say, if you'd like to do something truly meaningful with your life, and I hope that you do, and I hope that you are, You want to spend it wisely doing what matters. An abiding relationship with Jesus Christ, the source of and the true producer of fruit, the fruit God desires, is absolutely essential. It is foundational. Imagine if I were to show you a branch from the apple tree out in my backyard. I I cut it off and I bring it in here and I hold it up to you and I tell you, this is an apple tree branch. And then I say, I can't wait for springtime. I love springtime because when the sun gains some warmth and that warmth hits these trees and these branches blossom, they bud and then they blossom and there's a flower and it smells so good. I cannot wait for springtime. And beyond that, I can't wait for summertime. And as we get toward the end of summertime when the days are actually getting a little bit shorter and the nights are a little bit cooler the apples are produced and they begin to fall and I can pluck them off and I say to you with this branch I have in my hand I can't wait for spring so I can see the blossoms on this branch and I can't wait for summer when I can pick some apples from it that would be absurd you think I've lost my mind When I cut that branch off of that tree in my backyard, I literally severed any chance it ever had of producing fruit. So Jesus is the apple tree, right? Or here for our passage today, Jesus is the vine, the vine that produces, the vine that is the conduit for the life-giving, fruit-producing stuff of our lives. He is the source of our produce. That's who he is, and that's what he does. And next, Jesus teaches us who the Father is and what He does. I am the true vine, and my Father, He says, is the vine dresser. Here, Jesus turns our attention to, to our God in heaven as the vine dresser, the one who's tending the vineyard. And that, again, is a, a common depiction of God that we find in several places in the Old and New Testaments. He's the owner, He's the ultimate keeper of the vineyard. And Jesus tells us that as the vine dresser, our heavenly Father performs two necessary tasks. We look in verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. A branch that doesn't bear fruit is of little use to the vine dresser. There's a good chance that all it's doing is diverting sap and soaking up sunlight that could be used to make other fruit-bearing branches, healthier and even more productive. And there's a reason when a branch isn't producing fruit. We see that in verse 6. It is because it's not truly, it's not consistently connected to, Jesus uses the term abiding in, it's not abiding in the vine. In other words, it's not connected to Jesus. The life that's not producing fruit is a life that's not connected to Jesus. And that branch that, that isn't tied into Jesus and doesn't bear any fruit is lopped off. It is taken away. Or to put it another way, the vine dresser, the father here, executes judgment on the branch that isn't doing what it was made to do. And he removes it from the vine. And then it is gathered up with the other dead branches, and eventually it is thrown into the fire. Now, that whole gathering up process, lopping off process, I guess it would be benign enough if what Jesus was talking about were as simple as a spring cleanup that awaits you and I here in a month or so, where we go around and we pick up the old branches and we probably put them in the burn pit. But this is much more serious, for in the Bible, fire is a symbol of judgment and also of hell, of separation from God in a place of eternal suffering. So the consequences of not remaining in Jesus then which leads to that fruitless existence are removal and destruction by the judgment of the owner of the vineyard. And one of the tasks of the father then is to judge and purge those dead branches. And another of his tasks is to prune the living ones. John Piper describes the twofold work of the vine dresser this way saying he cuts away the lifeless and he cultivates the living. He destroys and he disciplines. He takes away the branches that don't produce fruit and he he prunes every branch that does bear fruit so that it will bear even more. Pruning, if you don't know, is that process of cutting the plant back, of removing what is dead or diseased, and sometimes actually even that which is alive but not helping like when a lilac bush becomes too, too full, too tall. Anybody that has a lilac bush understands that sometimes. There's plenty of leaves, all kinds of leaves, but few flowers. There's a few branches near the top stretched for the sun so that they can produce some flowers. It's alive, but it's not fulfilling the potential. And so it needs to be pruned. Sometimes the pruning God does in our lives includes cutting away things that seem to be alive and good in order to make room for and facilitate the growth of what would be best. That pruning that God does, as the writer of Hebrews speaks, calls it discipline, is not always joyous. Sometimes, in fact, it will include hardship, suffering, loss, correction, testing, things that we don't like things that we resist, things that we would not choose. And yet all of it is from God and part of the larger plan that he has for us, a plan, by the way, that we cannot see, but a plan that will make us even more fruitful if we remain faithful. Our Father in heaven destroys the fruitless branches and disciplines the fruit-bearing ones as he shapes the vineyard of his people to accomplish his purposes in this world. Third and finally, Jesus is the vine, the Father is the vine dresser, and you, the disciples, you, he says, are the branches. Now the branches are important in the vineyard because they they bear the fruit. They are essential in the production of the grapes. That's the purpose of the branch, right? To bear the fruit. And so that is our purpose as well. A few verses beyond our text this morning in verse 16 of John 15, Jesus says this, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. Christian, you are called out and set apart by God to do good and lasting works for Him. Are you doing that? That's what you're called to do. Are you doing that? You are called out and set apart by God to do good and lasting works for Him. And yet, you do not do these in your own strength. You do not do these on your own. With that declaration of Jesus, you are the branches. He establishes for us the proper order. He clarifies our place in the working out of God's will. And if we believe what he says, then we can't be proud. Then we can't be self-glorifying. Then we can't be pointing to anything that we have done as if we, in fact, have done it. The branches are important, and yet they are completely dependent upon the vine if they're going to produce any fruit. You need the vine if you want to produce fruit without it. Without him, Jesus says, you can do nothing. And by that he means anything of eternal consequence. And so it is our privilege to bear the fruit of the vine and we must take care to remain in the vine and to stay connected with Jesus. Staying connected with Jesus. That is how the disciples will continue to do great work following his death. This is how they would carry on. This is how you and I can be part of God's redeeming kingdom work in this world today. Difficult as it might be or difficult as it might become by remaining in Jesus. Jesus was killed, but he was also raised from the dead. And he is alive. And he continues to be the source of life, vitality, strength, fruit-bearing capacity in us as individuals and as a church. To be fruitful, which is the will of God for his people, comes through a relationship with Jesus. Which brings us sort of full circle from where we started. If you had the privilege of knowing when your time on earth was up, and you had the opportunity to speak to your loved ones before your departure, what would you say? Perhaps something in the spirit of Jesus' words. I can think of nothing more eternally significant or more truly helpful. Jesus said, abide in me. The word means Means continue, endure, remain, tarry, stay. This would be my counsel. Know Jesus. Never leave him, and be sure he will never leave you.